0: Anderson afternoons the podcast hello and welcome to the podcast coming up dr. Pramel Patel he's a urologist at HSC and a prof at the U of M we'll talk to him about male infertility and E D erectile dysfunction Mackenzie Phillips on the podcast. She's coming to Winnipeg for Recovery Day, Winnipeg, Saturday at the Forks. We'll get details. And I pay tribute to Mary Kaleck as she has passed away at the age of 94. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Joining me now, Dr. Pramal Patel. Uh, Doc, nice to meet you, first of all. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Hal. You reached out to me, and I was very quick to get back to you and say, yes, let's talk about this. You're a urologist, you're at HSC, you're a prof or an assistant prof at the University of of Manitoba, and we're going to have a conversation today about male infertility and erectile dysfunction, ED. And then hopefully we can have you back and have other conversations because I agree with you when you emailed me. These are are things that we should be talking about, and we often don't talk about them,
1: right? Absolutely. I think it's a a lot of these conditions men may find embarrassing. Um, There's a lot of misinformation out there, and so I think we need to get the word out. We need to start communicating about this, Uh, and we just need to be more open about this, that there are good treatment options, um, and there are experts happy to see patients with these number of conditions. And men are infamous anyhow, right, for uh,
0: avoiding the doctor. Uh, I don't know if it's pride or or whatever it is, but when you put into the mix something that can be embarrassing for a lot of guys, well, now they really go out of their way to
1: avoid it, right? Absolutely. I think uh, it just may be because of a guy being a guy, but at times it does take a man, you know, whether it be months or even several years to go see a physician for something that they may have been having for a long time. And so it is really important to seek treatment early because the earlier you're able to treat a lot of these conditions – the better the success can be.
0: Yeah. And I think guys that have an issue need to understand
1: they are far from alone. It's more common than they might think. Absolutely. So when you look at male infertility, so infertility in general, one in six couples have trouble getting pregnant. Okay. And a lot of times there's a lot of misconception that this is probably more related to the female. However, up to half the number of cases can be related to male factor. So mm. it's definitely not you're definitely not alone when you're having problems getting pregnant.
0: Yeah, and what what's the cause? I mean, there are many causes, right?
1: Absolutely. There's a number of causes. It could be hormonal imbalances, it could be medications that you're taking. Um, sometimes it can even be genetics. However, a lot of the conditions that can cause infertility can be treated with really good success.
0: And with your GP, with your general practitioner, or does it take more of an expert like you and and, uh, a facility that can maybe better handle some of these more specific issues?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think initially it's always good to reach out to the GP. A lot of people feel more comfortable with their general practitioner, and sometimes they can do some initial blood work, uh, initial physical examination, and then if they have any questions, I'm always happy to... um, speak to the patient myself or speak to the GP, but it's always the GP who usually starts the referral process.
0: Yeah. And uh, this can be an issue in the relationship, right? The dynamics of that relationship, you know, because there's guilt involved. If it is your issue that's causing the problems, maybe go into that a bit
1: because maybe that's part of the reason why people kind of avoid this stuff, right? I I don't know. Well, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It, It is stressful, right? So I think, you know, a lot of times You know, a couple may have been trying to get pregnant and, you know, it's not really sure who the issue could be and it could lead to a lot of stress in the relationship. And at that point, I think that's when it's important to seek out an expert Mm -hmm. and try to get to the bottom of this. And at the same time, is I always like to see both couple in clinic myself to be able to talk through it. And so both understand that this is something that they can overcome.
0: Is it, uh, is it more often an easy fix or something more difficult, more complicated, or is that too uh, a general of a question to,
1: to ask? No, that's a great question. I mean, a lot of times it may involve just changing the medication, so sometimes some easy fixes. Other times it may involve some surgical procedures, but those tend to be not as invasive. They tend to be more day surgeries or day procedures. Yeah. And because a lot of these people tend to be young and healthy, uh, treatment they respond well to treatment and downtime is very minimal.
0: Right. Help me out here because I, I ask questions for a living. I, I, I'm i not sure what questions I should be asking. You're the expert. So before we move on to ED, erectile yeah. dysfunction, maybe go into the male infertility a bit more. You reached out to me. You want to get the message out there. What's important to get out there?
1: Absolutely. Great. So number one, I think people need to understand what is infertility. So if a couple has been unable to get pregnant after a year of regularly unprotected intercourse, mm-hmm. or six months, or if they feel that they may already have a condition that could cause them to have problems, that's when they should seek investigation. So that should give, them- it, a, give it a good try for a year, and then if there are issues, come and see a pro. Exactly, come and see a pro, and that's going to require getting a general history, a physical examination, getting some blood tests, as well as getting their semen tested. The biggest thing I want to urge is that. It shouldn't just be focused on the female. The male should also be evaluated, not just if you're unable to get pregnant, but also if you keep getting recurrent miscarriages. Mm. So it is important for the male to get evaluated, and they should be evaluated by someone who is an expert in the field. Initially right. start out with the GP, and then they can refer, um, mm-hmm. uh, refer to an expert as well.
0: Yeah, so I guess the message then today is if you're having issues after a year of trying, if you're having issues... Reach out and get that help. That's the most important thing, right? Because if you really do want to have a child and you don't sort of reach for help when you're not able to attain that goal as a couple on your own, lots of other things can can then happen that that we don't want to see happen in a, in a relationship.
1: Right? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Right then, the, the, everything just gets delayed and delayed, and it takes sometimes a few years mm. for the male to even get evaluated. Yeah, right, and so that d- much of a wait, eh? Right. So some and that just because a lot of the emphasis may have been placed on the female partner and I the see. male okay. may have been overlooked.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. Now. So help me out here then. You know, we're talking a lot about healthcare. care. It's an election campaign. I don't want to get you involved in that. But help me out if there's a couple out there that's having trouble. Is it much of a wait to get in to see an expert or is it something they can get into for help fairly quickly?
1: I think fairly quickly. So I work out of the Heartland Center, so yep. and that's um, very
0: well known in this community as being one of the a great facility to help people.
1: Absolutely, yeah. and there's been a lot of new blood in Heartland, a lot mm. of new reproductive endocrinologists. So who focus on female fertility, I right. focus on male fertility, and really doesn't take that long to get evaluation. You know, sometimes it can take just a few weeks, but you know we're pretty good at getting patients in, getting the getting the process starting because. At that point, they've already been trying for so long, we don't want to delay this process any further.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Now, let's move on to ED erectile dysfunction because Now, this is a tough one for guys, right? Because, I mean Well, go ahead, explain. Why is it so hard for, I guess it's uh, it's upsetting for us, uh, because it, it, this defines us, or many of us feel that
1: way, right? Abs- well, absolutely, right? And I think the issue is it's not that it's hard, it's that it's not hard. But, not hard.
0: Right? Uh, you see, I, as soon as I said it, I thought, oh boy, there's a pun there, and you picked up on it, and good for you, Doc. I like you already.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> so go ahead. Absolutely. So <laughs> erectile dysfunction. So, you know, what is ED? So erectile dysfunction is an inability or unable to maintain or to initiate an erection for satisfactory sexual intercourse right, right. so it's it's very common actually mm-hmm. i think yeah how uh, common is that so 40% of men over 40 wow right so, so it's extremely common you're not alone a lot of men face erectile dysfunction daily it can cause a lot of issues within the relationship And most times the partner is very supportive, but the individual himself Mm -hmm. may feel that he's just not able to produce and he gets a lot of psychological burden, a lot of stress. And so that in itself can cause a lot of stress on the relationship and even at work. A lot Mm -hmm. of people take this with them.
0: Is it some, I mean,
1: sometimes it's physical, but sometimes is it mental? Can it be mental? Absolutely. So erections, there's a lot of things in play. It's hormonal, a lot of nerves. Um, a lot of emotions involved. And so t- typically, when I see a younger gentleman presenting, a lot of times that may be more of a psychological component that they just may be stressing themselves out, and sometimes they get performance anxiety. Right. Right. It's usually in the older gentleman where they have a slow onset where they say, Well, it's been getting worse and worse over time. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing to know about erectile dysfunction is, number one, there's a lot of good treatments, okay? And a lot of these can be reversible. So having problems with erections doesn't mean that you're going to be dependent on medications your whole life. Right. Exercise, diet, weight loss, all that can help tremendously. Right. Yeah. But the biggest thing to know is that your penis, just like any other organ, requires blood. And if you start having problems with your erections, that's actually an early warning sign that you could be having problems with your heart. Much bigger issues, right? Absolutely, Mm -hmm. right? So it is important that if you are having problems with the erections and that it's been going on for some time, you should speak to your family doctor who are experts in this aspect and that they could refer you on to someone like myself Mm -hmm. if they require any further treatments. But it is important to speak about this.
0: Yeah, and again, depending on what's causing the problem, there's help out there,
1: right? There are medications that can take care of this almost instantaneously, right? Absolutely. There's oral medications, there's injections, there even, there's even uh, penile implants. Right. So there's a lot of effective treatment outcomes or a lot of effective treatments mm. that can help ED quite well.
0: Yeah. Bottom line is, if you have an issue, there's help. Don't be afraid to ask for it. And as you said, and I think this is a huge one, most in, in relationships The other person in the relationship is super understanding about this, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And if people want to get more information, they can always visit my website, www.manitobafertility.com. There's a lot of good information about infertility, ED, and a lot of other aspects of men's health.
0: Manitobafertility.com. Yes, sir. Manitobafertility.com. Dr. Pramal Patel, thank you very much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Hal. I appreciate it. And thanks for the chuckle too along the way. That was good. Joining us on the phone now, Mackenzie Phillips. Mackenzie, good afternoon. Hi there, Hal. Hey, this is a a treat for me. Um, First of all, thanks for doing this. Thanks uh, for coming to Winnipeg for an important event. We're going to talk about that uh, as we go along here. But i got to tell you, as a young guy, I was a fan of One Day at a Time, and I'm a fan now of Orange is the New Black, so it's cool to talk to you.
2: Oh, thank you so (laughs) much.
0: Yeah. Why is it important for you to be here on Saturday at the Forks in Winnipeg for Recovery Day?
2: Well, I think that, you know, first of all, uh, anything that reduces the stigma around having a substance use disorder and being a person in recovery is very important, not only to me, but so many families, you know. I mean, so many families struggle with a loved one who is trying to overcome a, a substance use disorder. And I love being a part of the new wave of people who are happy to recover out loud, to let everybody know that there is a solution, this works, uh, you can get well, and it's, it's just really important to me. I'm very passionate about it.
0: Yeah. We're dealing here in Winnipeg with a meth crisis right now. Obviously, there's other issues uh, other drugs that are a problem but that's a real problem in this city right now and and you mentioned families there i think that's maybe the biggest thing that we've learned from this meth crisis is that is that it's not just the person that's addicted to meth or whatever the drug is it's all the people around them family and friends and the and the impact on the community as well that's right we're we are seeing
2: uh a, a, law, a huge uptick in uh, methamphetamine use here in California as well. It's one of those things that you kind of think, oh, well, that one went away a long time ago. But no, it didn't. And it, it, it's, it, that drug just hooks you and grabs you and changes. It twists everything that is good and right about you into something completely different. And it's so hard for family members to look at their meth-addicted loved ones and, you know, and see the person that they grew up with or that they gave birth to, because it's like a, a, a different person standing
0: in front of them. I'm curious, you said it's a problem right now in California again as well. Uh, what are they doing there? I'm curious, what, what are some of the possible solutions there in dealing with meth? Because we're looking for answers here.
2: Well, I don't think that there's any sort of, you know, uh, at the, the state or city level anything that anyone is doing. I mean, there's Crystal Meth Anonymous, you know, CMA is the acronym. Um, what we're seeing is that it really impacts the uh, gay men. Uh, it, it's a, that's a huge component of, of the, the, the lifestyle with gay men, crystal meth and sex addiction or acting out sexually. So we see that a lot here. I work at a, a treatment center called Breed Life Healing Centers, and we have a dedicated uh, recovery track that is that is uh, created to treat gay men with crystal meth and sex addiction. And so, you know, what are we doing about it here? We're trying to keep our heads above water and keep people alive. And I imagine that's very similar to what you all are doing there.
0: Yeah. Some people here think we should have a safe injection or safe use site. Others think that's a terrible idea. Where do you come down on that? You know, I
2: I see the benefit of it. I see that, you know, I know that they did that, you know, in in Vancouver, in British Columbia. And they've done it in other places around the world. And it had a positive impact. So, you know, although uh, those of us in long-term recovery like myself and those of us who don't, and also those who don't really, get it, cringe at the idea of a safe in- injection site, because the thought is we are just encouraging the behavior. But really, at some point, when it becomes a crisis like it is in Winnipeg or like it's becoming here in Los Angeles, you have to begin at least with harm reduction. How can we reduce the harm so that we can keep people alive long enough to get them well again? So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a really sticky
0: wicket. Yeah, and it's tough for people to wrap their heads around here.
2: Yeah, and, and anywhere, like wow. you know, and anywhere, how can we, you know, conscience is providing, you know, a safe injection site? Mm. Well, you know, do you want people to to pass around, you know, IV born illnesses, or you know, uh, die in an alley? From a, you know, it's it's a it's a horrible mm.
0: uh, dilemma. You, you talked about why you do it, but do you ever get tired of doing this, uh, Mackenzie? Do you ever get tired <laughs> of, of talking about your history and uh, these the subjects that can be, let's face it, can be very depressing and upsetting, can't they?
2: Well, I mean, you know, I work full-time in a drug and alcohol treatment center uh, as a counselor, a group facilitator, and I also work at the executive level. So... You know, I don't get tired of telling my story because it helps me remember where I came from and how far I've come, and it allows me to be of service to the, the next person who might need to hear a story like mine. Mm-hmm. But working day in, day out with people who are struggling and sick can become... you get some, You get compassion fatigue, you know. You get a little burned out, and you need to make sure... I get a little burned out. I need to make sure that I'm practicing radical self-care uh, and taking care of my family and my needs and my animals so that I can balance the heartbreak of working with people who might die on a daily basis uh, with with the gifts of, of
0: my recovery. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, World Suicide Prevention Week, and tomorrow is World Suicide Prevention Day. Uh, Mackenzie, uh, at some of the darkest moments for you, did you ever contemplate taking your own life? I'm curious to know that, And, and if so, tell us about that.
2: I never did. I would have the thought, oh my gosh, my family would probably have an easier go of it if I wasn't crashing and burning and I just wasn't here. But it was never tied to the next thought of, I should kill myself. Ne- that's never been my, my path.
0: You talked about why you are coming to Winnipeg, why it's important to get up there and talk to people. What will you be saying? What's your message on Saturday at the Forks for Recovery Day?
2: Well, here's the deal. My, you know, I've been to treatment 11 times. Uh, my story doesn't say, oh, you know, relapse isn't that big of a deal. You can always get sober. My story says I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm the anomaly. Most of us die, sadly. You know, I just, uh, you know, my message is there is hope. Let's all work together. Let's make this a movement. You know, let's make this a movement of people who are reclaiming their power and living their best lives as opposed to hiding uh, in a dark room with a needle.
0: Hey, do me a favor, Mackenzie. Join me again on Friday, okay? I want to get you on the day before so we can remind people that it's happening Saturday at the Forks, Recovery Day Winnipeg. And if people want more information, they can go to the website, which is recoverydaywpg.com. That's recoverydaywpg.com. So we'll talk again on Friday. Before I let you go, though, I've got to ask you about one day at a time. I think I was... 11. I, I think I was 11 when it went on the air and it was definitely one of my favorite TV shows back then. Was it fun to do? Uh, tell, tell us where you were at in your life at that point. Give us some, uh, some details because I think a lot of people listening right now love that show.
2: Well, I was uh, 15 when we started One Day at a Time. I'll be 60 this year in case anybody's trying to do the math. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I was a baby addict. I was uh, just Starting to really um, start seeing the consequences of using drugs and alcohol, even at that young age. Mm-hmm. And so, although I had the best time, and I we, we we people always say, "Oh, we were like a family," you know. When you talk to actors about TV shows, and we, yeah. and we really, really were. Um, and then you know things started to decompensate for me, and it was it was a, a, a complicated time in my life. Mm-hmm. But you know the show ran for nine years. We are all well. Pat Harrington and Bonnie Franklin have since uh, passed away, yeah. but Valerie and I are friends, and you know. And also, I am on the new One Day at a Time, which uh, had three seasons on Netflix. It stars Rita Moreno. It's Latina reimagining of One Day at a Time. Oh. And we're coming back next year on Pop TV, which is a CBS affiliate. So um, it's a great show. And so One Day at a Time lives on. I still get to work with Norman Lear, who is 96 years old. Incredible. And uh, unbelievable. It is the I have such a great life. I, I mean, I was just thinking about this. I'm so grateful for my recovery. And I think that's part of the message that I'll be sharing on Saturday, too.
0: Yeah. And then Orange is the New Black. And when I was mentioning on my show the other day that I was going to chat with you this week, somebody said, don't forget she was on American Graffiti, too. So, I mean, you've had an incredible career aside from all the, uh, you know, other stuff that we've talked about.
2: I have. I've been really, really uh, blessed with some kind of crazy abundance. You know, people always say, oh, my God, you've had such a horrible life. And I'm like maybe from where you're sitting. I have had a lot of struggles and a lot of things to overcome, but ultimately I have been so incredibly fortunate.
0: Mackenzie, thank you so much for doing this, and we'll chat again on Friday briefly just to remind people about Recovery Day, but thank you so much.
2: I look forward to it, Hal. Thank you so much.
0: I was uh, reading on the weekend that Mary Colecus has passed away. I think it was last Tuesday, last week anyhow. And uh, you know the name, Colecus, right? I mean, iconic North End restaurant, Main Street. She was 94, and I talked to her when she was 88, and she was retiring. It was the end of 2012, and I think the restaurant was going to stay open until January, sometime in January of 2013. Anyhow, I when I heard the news, and we had our big election rehearsal yesterday— I came here to the station, and I went through all my old audio files, and I found a quick interview. It's not very long. It's only a, a few minutes long. But I, I found a quick interview that I did with Mary when she decided to retire, and I share that with you right now. Mary Kaleckis, take a listen. Hi, Hal. How are you? Oh, my gosh. What are you doing? You're 88. you got another 30, 40 years in you. Head off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mary, back when you came on the cooking show and Peter Grant was off one week and I did the cooking show here on C G O B and I had you on for your legendary food down there at Colecus, and over the years since then, we've run into each other here and there, and you are just such a wonderful person, Mary, and I'm so happy you're going to be able to take it easy. Yeah,
3: well, that's just the idea, Hal. You know, I've turned. it's 88, you know, so it's time.
0: No kidding. And in there every day, cooking the dogs and the burgers and everything, eh?
3: Well, I'm here. I've been here every day, seven days a week. I open up every, mor- every morning. And I would, I would like to say to the customers who've come here for years, they'd be wonderful. And it's just so. Great to see them and meet with them all through the years and look after
0: them. Well, and I'm glad you're giving it a bit of time so people can uh, drop by and and say hi and, and get a look at those beautiful walls filled with all those wonderful pictures. All those people that ate there, Mary, who, give me one or two of your favorites.
3: One of my favorites? Oh, my gosh, that's really tough. Well, you know, they've all been so wonderful, all these people that have come here. Uh, one of the people that I found was very, very gracious was uh, Adrienne Clarkson. Mm. You know, she was very, very nice. And she, in fact, made, made three visits after the first visit. She made three more visits to, just to come and say hello.
0: So she liked you and liked what you did there.
3: I liked what I was doing. I liked the people. I loved, the, loved what I was doing. It, it just to been a wonderful experience in my life.
0: You've, you've, you've had a wonderful, uh, a wonderful career there, Mary. You've done some, uh, boy, you know, you're, obviously you're a great cook, better than a lot of world-class chefs, uh, but you've been a great friend to a lot of people, and a lot of people are going to miss you after you retire. But I want you to enjoy your retirement, Mary. And if you ever, you know, you're sitting at home and you're saying, oh, man, I feel like cooking, you call Hal, okay? You can come cook Don't for worry, me. I
3: worry, Hal. You I, cook. I, keep, I have my, my, my radio on listening to you all the
0: time. <laughs> Mary Kolekis, <laughs> God bless you.
3: Thank you so much.
0: Ah, rest in peace, Mary. She was a nice lady. Really nice lady. and You know, lived a wonderful life and had a great career and co-founded uh, Folklorama. Mayor Juber called on her to, you know, just an incredible life. And uh, absolutely, rest in peace and God bless you, Mary Kaleckis, dead at the age of 94.